Peter and I are back for another episode of the Survivor's Guide to Life. And today um, we're going to talk about resilience and I'm going to throw out a term that I think gets a little overused, which is a toolbox. Um, what kinds of things do you have in your toolbox for resilience? But seriously, there are skills that are essential and important to know to have resilience to deal with hard times in a constructive and positive way. Mm -hmm. There are also behaviors and attitudes that very much get in the way of being resilient during hard times. And today we want to give you very practical, very um, targeted information and help for where you are right now. So, with that said, uh, hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today, we continue in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, or Peter, as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with almost 50 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. Absolutely. We were just talking about that today. And uh, I had just talked to a woman who's just starting her own business now, and she said she's wanted to do it for years, and this is her opportunity and chance to do it now. And very nice young woman, and um, I was glad to hear it because that's exactly what it takes to, you gotta innovate. And this is a time when we have the time to reevaluate our lives and to begin to do the things that we've always wanted to do and to, to move forward and to uh, take some risks. But the truth is, you can always stay home and, and lock yourself away for a long time and live in fear and then get frustrated and angry, which millions of people are doing, as we know. Or you can actually make it as a time that's so constructive that when you come through this, you're going to be so much stronger and the better for it, not worse, and probably do some innovation and personal reevaluation that you've always needed to do but just never took the time to do. This is a good time to do that. So we're going to be talking about that today. And I was saying to Jenny before we started, every time I get ready to prepare, for these and, and the, we have staff meetings we talk about oh uh, you know a piece that we've we've read something that we're interested in it just seems to open the floodgates for me of all the other things that we have been working on um and 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 putting out for a long time now this is what our 82nd yes 82nd uh, episode and we have put out so much good material and that was way before the COVID-19 crisis, way before all the rioting. And, this is and over a year and a half ago. That's right. But we've been talking about, and it seems like it, it, it's hard to believe, but can you really achieve and find hope and renewal and actually a form of uplifting through all these hardships, difficulties, and suffering? Honestly, you know what the answer is? Yeah. The answer is yes. Does it come easily? Absolutely not. And we always have emphasized sitting here that we're no different than anybody else that we're talking to. We've been living and working in what we call an extraordinary reality for an awfully long time though. And the qualities and the challenges of that have better prepared us for what's going on now, a lot better. Um, 
most people wouldn't choose to live an extraordinary reality. It's not fun. It's very difficult. It's very challenging, self-challenging. Um, it's an awakening to our limitations. We certainly are going to feel our pain and the pain of those we care about and love and are concerned for. So it's not an easy life and it's not an easy calling, but yet it's so fulfilling. And it means so much that you value life and you find appreciation and gratitude in ways you never would have done it otherwise. Well, who lives in extraordinary realities? Some doctors do, nurses do, firefighters do, police do, paramedics, and we do, who we specialize in trauma recovery. And you know what? There is so much involved there. And it would be understandable to me why most people would avoid it because we have to deal with the real conditions of life that involve sickness, dying, and death. And that's a condition that most of us, particularly in the United States, do anything to avoid and to live a life that's filled with a lot of distraction and external gratifications. Um, and it doesn't mean we don't like those two. I do, I love them. But the truth of the matter is the, the core of our life, the core of our work, is almost it is like a calling on our lives to help others in need to have empathy to be compassionate and concerned and to offer them skills and abilities to help them recover and that's what we specialize in trauma recovery and we've been doing it a long time i have and jenny's been right at my side for the last well, almost 15 years almost 15 years okay so she's she's gotten a pretty good hit by now and others have too, and others fell away because it's such a demanding, difficult kind of challenge. It is. And yet it's so fulfilling to see the good that we can do for people helping get on their feet. One of the nice parts that I'm thinking about as I'm talking is when people come to you so broken, if they've had attitudes of pride and arrogance and um, self-sufficiency and all of that, and, uh, and you know ambitions that really have disqualified themselves, disqualified others and, and, and avoided them or run, run hard over them. Well, by the time they get to us, they're pretty broken people. And that's the better part. It gives us a chance to really make, make a difference in their lives. If folks come to us and they, they've gone through an awful lot of trauma and crisis and still are filled with pride and defenses and arrogance and self-righteousness, it really limits how much we can do for them. And the truth is, as long as they have that attitude, the chances of their really doing well are not good. Do we have those that come? Yes. Um, that points up one thing, that, that, a point that you make often, that we make often, which is that one of the real keys to moving through a very hard time is being willing to learn. And the people that come in to see you, to see us, who have gone through hard time after hard time, but keep trying to do it, approach it the same way, and aren't willing to learn something, don't have much of a chance of moving forward. They really don't. We've seen that too. But you know, as I, I think about it, you got to say, what, what's the difference between folks that are willing to learn and those that are going to hang on to their old ways? And if that involves defensiveness with being self-sufficient, arrogant, righteous, condemning, critical. I mean, you got to ask yourself, what's that all about in the face of all these traumatic things they're going through? Well, there is a, there is a difference. And it usually has to do with how fearful they are. Mm. That really is what's behind it. And you got to say, well, what are they afraid of? <laughs> Plenty. 
the same kind of things that we've had to contend with over and over again. And it's the fear of not being in control anymore, of feeling that incredible intensity of panic and crisis where the situation is running wild, it's dangerous, um, we've seen many different crises, and yes, they are scary, and they are intense, and it's very hard to feel like we're in control when the situations are changing so quickly, and it's, it's out of our control. It's a real awakening, um, and it's, it is no question about it. It's, it's terrifying, but the question is, well, can you really survive and be resilient through it all? And the answer is yes. You gotta have some trust. You gotta have some hope and faith, even in the midst of it. And I don't mean some kind of religious head trip. I mean deep inside yourself, you've got to know somehow this is gonna work out. Somehow we're gonna come out of this one way or the other for the better. In the awakening phase of it, of course, we don't feel that way because we don't feel like we have any control. And it's terrifying. So people get very, very anxious about that kind of, the kind of changing we're talking about. And we read an article several weeks ago, um, and I loved the article, I still go back to it, as uh, what is dying, what's the article, it's actually in, yet yeah, the Wall Street Journal, which you believe, and it's one of the better articles, I think. Um, it was called, Dying Gives Us a Chance to Confront the Truth, and it's a really beautifully done article. Um, and I look at these times as such a challenge and confrontation to our survival, about our physical health, our financial health, um, things that we have clung to um, so intently, and yet what we're looking at as those things are being taken away, um, and, or the threat of them being taken away. It's a, not, I don't see that, you know, the interesting part is we're looking for this crisis to go into a downturn. I don't think it's happening. It's not significant yet at no, all. No, I don't think no. so. I think people are it's sort um, of changing character. I think people just have decided that's the way they're going to live and they're going to stop being so isolated and cut off and they're going to come out anyway. Mm -hmm. um, I, that's what I see, but it's very unusual what's going on out there. Mm -hmm. um, seeing people in masks, seeing people in hospitals, work in hospitals, they look like they just stopped, stepped off of uh, a space shuttle. They're so wrapped up in uh, sterile clothing and masks and whatever. It, it's, <laughs> I saw one this week uh, because my mother's in the hospital and I'll tell you she's not in good shape she's 95 but when I took a look at the people that were t attending her it was it jolted me it was scary to see mm -hmm. the protective people, clothing the protective clothing is, is quite is quite um, especially if you might be, be disoriented or not feeling well or maybe have some medication going on it'd be frightening to see someone totally garbed in the protective clothing. It is. I, I'm used to it, not not lately, but when I looked at it at first on the FaceTime and we were looking, it, it, for me, and I knew the person wearing it is an angel. Yes, and she needed to be uh, And it. she needed to do it, but when yeah. I looked at it, I'm thinking, this has got to be scaring the heck out of my mother. Yeah. And if she's not feeling isolated and like she's on another planet, just looking at these people would make you feel that way. So things are, things are different now, really different. And it's leaving everybody very uncomfortable and anxious. In this article I mentioned, though, I keep referring back to it because he was a brilliant guy. Uh, he was a professed, theological professor, and yet he wrote the article in a way that had such a 
an authenticity and a solidness to it. I'm thinking, this isn't the way intellectuals and professorial people were right. Yeah. But sure enough, he's, he's nursing, he's taking care of his wife who's dying. And this is not an older guy. Yeah. So he wrote beautifully about what he's going through and what he's come to realize. Um, and that these times of crisis make us face ourselves and they make us come to a place they, sh they can. They make us come to a place that is so much more real and authentic. And all the other things that we've placed so much importance on just fall away. They're so unimportant. Um, and he's so right. And he also talked about where people come to learn over these long periods of process of dying, sickness, dying, and death. And I know because I'm going through it with my wife. But I'll, and I'll tell you something, where he's right. And he talked about how anxious people are now on the, on the, the virus. Well, I'll tell you what, he also said, well, what's behind this high anxiety? He says, it is the fear of death. They call it mortal fear. Mm -hmm. And he's right. It's a condition of life that we have to face a lot. And it makes us come to terms with our own mortality. And it makes us come to grips with the condition of life that everybody's going to face. And it's probably one of the most unpleasant conditions that can be. But yet through it, we come to, we come to something so much more meaningful and important. And it's, we're not fear-based anymore. It's almost that this is part of life. It breaks our hearts. And we're vulnerable, caring people. So the energy we take on is very difficult. And yet it forces us to grow. It forces us to look at ourselves in new ways. That's what people are being forced to do on a massive level now. And they have little or no preparation. I've talked about this time and again, that there's been so much distraction and avoidance of this part of life that all of a sudden everybody is being thrust into it. And frankly, a lot of people aren't doing too well. No. And um, I was hoping it would look different. But so far people are really struggling. Um, they're frustrated, they're fearful, they're very angry. You can see that. And I yes. think we'll deal with that because there's ways to cope with these emotions that are so important. And what I'm seeing is people don't know what they're doing. Let's give them, let's help them with that. Let's do that We're going to help. I'm going to help. We're going to help. We're going to help. We promise. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Peter and I have been talking about resilience and the kinds of qualities and skills that are needed to have resilience, to work through very hard times and come out on the other side in a, a, a better place, maybe even than when you went through them. Yeah. Uh, we also talked about what can get in the way. We're starting to talk about it uh, in crises and hard times we lose, we're not in control. Things become out of our hands and we can react very emotionally to that experience. And that can be uh, a very, lead us to destructive or unconstructive actions, behaviors, and how can we address that? Okay, one of the things really is people don't know how to deal with their emotional lives. And um, if, if they don't, 
that it's going to take on a life of its own and it can be very destructive, which is, I see a lot of that happening now. Um, it, it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, it's frustrating when I see how people are turning on each other so violently. And um, it, it's heartbreaking to me. It also makes me angry that people could be so self-centered and so uncaring about each other. So when I see that, it's a sad time. And this is a prime time for that kind of thing to happen because people have been locked up for weeks, now months, and their fear has turned into frustration and pent-up anger, and they don't know how to deal with it. Um, I remember one time when we were when was staying at home, uh, at 8 o'clock every night, people were instructed to let out your emotions every night, and you could hear them yeah, howling. Yeah, they'd be howling at 8. And I listened to that and go, yeah. okay, all right. If that's supposed to that's, make them coping go better, God help them. It's not, just, not it's destructive, not gonna, really. No, but no. it's not the answer either. No. But the part that is... Is you got to learn to get it out. You got to know and begin to recognize what it is, and that usually had to do with anger, and and suffering and pain that was coming out. Mm -hmm. So okay, so there was that element of it, but I I, I think that the kind of work we're in, the extraordinary life we live, um, makes us certainly brings us down to earth because we're just like everybody else, except we're met, we're facing these kind of things every day in our work, and it puts us through an awful lot of changes. And I could understand why most people don't want to go through it. I really can. But that's... That was our choice. That has that's, been our that's choice. A, you know, I almost not sure. I almost feel like it was a God's choosing. Because when I look back on it now, I'm thinking, yes, I care a lot about people. Would I have chosen to go through the kind of pain and uh, challenges that I go through? And I don't know if I would have chosen that. But that's the way it is. And I've been doing it near 50 years. I've helped thousands of people, and uh, from thousands and thousands of hours, which is no exaggeration. And yet what I see coming out of it is growth and maturation and a morphing. It's becoming, it's almost like a, a, a flower coming into a, a bloom and a beautiful new flower. But it has to go through this hard stuff. And it has to have somebody mentor them and show them how to deal with the emotion of it. The, the wounds of it, the scars of it that are going to be left, and w the, the good that can come out of it, but also that it has to be confronted and dealt with. That means you got to know yourself, and you got to know how to recognize what you're going through. Um, I don't think a lot of people do, and if they do, they sure don't know how to get, get, deal with it. So I was telling Jenny today, here we are. We're sitting and we read a wonderful paper, another good paper. Another good article. Another today. good article. They're coming out every week. Books are coming out every week. Articles are coming out. This one was uh, from the 18th. The New York Times was What Makes Some People More Resilient Than Others by Eileen Zimmerman. Zimmerman. Last yes. week there was another one. The week before that. These are all good. Yes. Every one of them is a good paper. And they all talk about the same thing. They say it in different ways. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing because people need to hear it in different ways. Yeah, and I, and I think it's still very, very good. And I, I read this paper and I'm thinking to myself, they're saying the same things we say. This lady wrote a book about it. And I'm thinking, this is her way of saying it. And I think it's really nicely done. Last week I read another article. Another person, again, said differently, but nicely done. So I look at this and say, this is the time that people need to learn 
about how to deal with these real difficult times and difficult emotional states and the things that we are forced to go through that we wouldn't have chosen ourselves. And it can be learned. It absolutely it can, can be, be learned. learned. This is not something you're born with or not. This is these are skills. These are the way you approach your life. The the way you take things on, you can learn. It's almost like it is almost like a muscle. The more you use it, the more often you face the difficult things. The better you will be at it. The better you'll feel. The more confident, and you will grow through it. That sounds very. What did you say in the beginning of that? That it can be learned. Okay, I think that's a key. One yes. of the keys to this last paper. Um, and one of the things, I like the paper, don't get me wrong, but she emphasized so much of the introspective, psychotherapeutic, historical kinds of trauma. Now, gosh, well, plus my career was based on that. Mm -hmm. It isn't today. And there only. is a contribution for Absolutely. that. Absolutely. But I almost felt that it was saying that if you had a certain kind of upbringing and there were certain traumatic, we call it complex developmental trauma, we wrote a book about it that basically that's going to determine how you respond, and I disagree. I disagree, Because too. it can be learned in new ways. And because our lives, yours and mine, speak to that. And so do many people that we know. Many people we've helped in that. Sure. You know, and I, I look at that and I go, okay, she emphasized that, um, what's his name, Van der Kolk? Uh, Bessel Van der Kolk. Very good man, does a lot the, of work yes, on trauma. Very knowledgeable. And he's a smart man, a psychiatrist. So basically he studies the, the times in the people's lives that traumatic things happen and how it affects and distorts them. Right. He's not wrong. No, he's not. None of this is wrong. No. But I look at it and I go, if that's what's being emphasized, then you're missing the boat about something. And I don't think he really is missing the boat. No. But I think that people have to understand you can learn new ways of responding no matter how you were raised, no matter what your genetics were, you can learn to be different. You can learn to make new choices. No matter what you have been brought through, what you went through, no matter how it shapes you, and it, it does mold you. If you're doing different parts of your life, you go through these traumas, oh, it changes your nervous system, your tuning. Yes. It changes the way you think, the way you perceive, everything. I agree with that. Those are things you'll have to deal with as you exactly. go through Exactly. Exactly. But do I believe that that's going to be the end all? And the answer is absolutely no. And, you know, when I read this paper, I wasn't sure she knew that. But I, I think she does. I think she came out on that side. I hope. I she think was, so. She was just talking about what contributed. But I think she did say that uh, it is more, she does come down by saying you can think of resilience as a set of skills that can be and often is learned. Absolutely. I think she did say that. She did. Okay, absolutely, she's right. You know, last week we talked about some of the characteristics of things that get in the way of people's growth. I remember, and that came out of a very good book that I love that spoke a lot of what we spoke about, and that was by the Marstons. And that was written in 19... Maybe a year or two ago. At least, two, yeah. three years ago. Yeah. Very good book, Transformative Resilience. Mm -hmm. It's something we've been talking about, writing about, and helping people with for years. So, we, of course, we loved it. But one of the things that she talked about that I thought was very important is just people believe that they, they're born with an innate ability to deal with things and to cope. And, and if they're super intelligent or super intellectually gifted, okay, that, that means they're going to do well. And that is absolutely not true. That's not true. And it's been borne out in the lives of so many highly successful people yeah. who went through very hard times. Absolutely. And, and in, that, in that book that they wrote, they talk about it. They show all these people 
that have done very well out of crisis and turmoil. And it wasn't based on, they were had traumatic pasts only. And in fact, most of them did. Yeah, it's it's how they chose to develop it into something more constructive and more um, geared toward the, the crisis or difficulties that they were facing in the present. And I agree with that. And they called it having grit is more important than having innate capabilities and intelligence. And those, the people that have the grit, the tenacity, the desire, that moves through things and, and keeps moving forward no matter what, and doesn't get stopped, no matter how, they may get obstacle challenged, but they just know they have to keep going, do so much better than folks that may be intellectually endowed, well-educated, um, and acknowledge for that, but when it comes down to it, that's not what makes a Pearson a good survivor at all. No, no, no. that's not. So it's those with the grit, and I agree with that. So I look at the genetic predispositions. I think about how situations affect us. I love. Oh, I just what did she write? Um, there are definitely issues that affect us, but I, I'm glad to hear. I couldn't remember, but yeah, you mean uh, the things she said that that contribute to it, or the things that that could? Uh, let's see. Excuse me for a minute. Mm -hmm. Uh, the tools common to resilient people, the, her list, is that where you're going next? Yeah, that, I was looking at something else. Uh, the, let me see. Uh, let's see. There's been a lot of clinical work done on these areas, by the way. And all these people quote so much clinical work that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. It's going to become unpredictable. It depends on the one or Okay, and they talk. She talks about what resilience is, which is good. I love that. Yeah, she says that uh, resilience is the ability to recover from difficult experiences and setbacks, to adapt, yeah. move forward, and sometimes even experience growth. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward, folks. And yeah, that's trouble with reading a lot of papers also. Where did that go? And I can't remember. Yes. I can't find it. And I and now I'm not sure what point you were hoping to make. You? She's a lot younger than I am. I know. She can't what remember? happened? What happened? Okay. Yes. Well, what we're talking about are some of the things that can determine how people respond in a situation, react in a, in a traumatic situation. Right. Um, we were talking about uh, being intellectually gifted. That doesn't help. And grit does. You can talk about your genetic predispositions. Your genetic, your yeah. People have they can be the kind of introvert or extrovert. Okay. They can be adaptive or um, assertive or aggressive or strong-willed. All these things are naturally uh, part of us, part of our character. But none of these things would prevent us from becoming resilient. No, anybody could do it. When you hear about when I heard that list just now, now a couple of things hit me. Well, the people that are going to be more assertive and more aggressive. Um, and more extroverted, that would tell me their chances of doing better for sure, absolutely. People that are not risk aversive are going to do much better, absolutely. The folks that are introverted, that are quiet, um, that are not driven, you would think they're not going to do well. Well, I got news for you. They can learn new responses, believe me. As the situations demand it, they have to have, one of the keys is to have a flexible mind and flexible behavior that you see a situation, you evaluate and decide how to move forward, how to um, let go of the things that really aren't working for you anymore and develop the new abilities, um, to see the opportunities that exist during these difficulties and dark times. Those folks are the ones that do really well. 
that's a critical and critically important theme in my life. Um, there was a wonderful writer who went through four years of the Holocaust, uh, Victor Frankl. And he's one of the people that talks about how to find hope and how to, how to, do, to do well, even in the midst of horrible hardship and how you can choose new ways to respond. You may not be able to choose the circumstance and the challenge, but you can choose new ways to respond. Yes. I believe that. Um, you know, I'll be honest with you, for me, I'm one of those folks that is assertive, that is not risk aversive. Um, I am a person that's, been, that's grown up having to learn how to survive when I was younger. That certainly has influenced me. But it's also, I'm not afraid of risks. And I look at situations that look really dark and difficult, and I feel them. That means I am affected by them just like anybody else, except I don't let it keep me down. And I begin to explore what are the good, the new possibilities that can be activated. I also am a person that looks at certain things that I realize there's not anything I can do about, and I have to accept that. But that doesn't mean I have to accept it as a defeat. It means, well, I can't change some things but then I begin to explore what can be changed. Now that's a really important characteristic to coping. And people need to learn to do that now, to innovate, to see that this is a time to be creative, to be self-reflective. This is a time to take, take some time, and you have it, to really reevaluate your life and reinvent yourself. Let's talk some more about that. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. In our last segment, and today we're talking about resilience, uh, Peter and I were talking about and how strongly we feel and believe from all the work we've ever done that resilience is something you can learn. It is a skill. You're not born with it or not. It is something everyone can learn from and grow. Um, the other thing we talked about in our last segment are emotions and the negative emotions that can come up and get in the way of being resilient, of managing and coping in a constructive way with difficult times. And Peter, at the end, you were talking about the value of being assertive uh, and looking at a situation and saying, what about this can reach? Can I change? Uh, what, what can I change? What will I need to accept? and look at what can be changed and finding ways to innovate and be creative. Okay. Well, I think there's a couple of messages that people need to overcome, and I know I've had to in the past, and that is when I really come up against situations that I can't do anything about that are heartbreaking. Um, we deal with helping people who are sick and dying a lot, um, who've gone through so much. There's no question I feel a heartbreak too. It's just that I don't take it as a complete failure. I don't take it as a crushing defeat. At the moment, emotionally, though, I feel those things just like anybody else will. It's just that I know those are my emotions speaking. That's not objectively what's really happening. That's, that's a very important perspective to have, to understand emotion and how it works, and to understand the adult perspective that you need to have. 
I feel just like anybody else does when I come up against a heartbreaking situation I can't do anything about. Yes, I feel heartbroken. I'm not one of these doctors that stands by and has no feeling at all and is removed and cold and cut off. I don't feel that way one bit. And I don't even believe in that. Um, I think it's very poor medical and psychiatric training. But I do believe that there's an, obje uh, an objectivity perspective where you feel you have an empathy for what's happening. But at the same time, there's another part of you that knows there is hope. There is something inside that's going to, no matter how difficult this situation is, and it may be terminal, that there's going to be something good that comes out of it, even if we can't tell at the time what it is. They call that faith. Now, I don't mean religious necessarily faith, which it can be, but it's a deeper trust. It's a deeper understanding that out of all of this, some good can come. Um, so many situations that I've heard about historically uh, than I read about looked so devastating and hopeless at the time and were so unfair and unjust and terrible. And yet you read the stories and you realize that these, many of these folks will come out and be out because they've gone through these injustices and this unfairness. It didn't destroy them. In fact, it prepared them. It prepared them for what was going to be coming next. It gave them a strength. It gave them an empathy and a capability it wouldn't have other, they wouldn't have had otherwise. You read the Bible, my God, there's so many stories like that. And where it looks like a complete defeat, and yet it doesn't turn out that way at all, ultimately. Do these people go through horrors? And do they go through the nightmares of, of being persecuted and just, just put through such horrible, unfair, and just... Um, circumstances, absolutely. And yet you you got to wonder, what. and then you read further on how it all comes out and what it turns out to be and how they develop skills and abilities and empathy and strengths. They never could have had it. They never could have understood the innovation and capability of having unless they went through it and came out the other side stronger. That's I, I want to jump in for a moment <clears throat> because you've said something really important that I don't think everyone gets and I want to make sure everybody listening or watching has a chance to get this and you were talking about how when we kind of come into a very hard time uh, and don't have control over everything that's happening that it's easy for us to feel that we have somehow failed or that we are being defeated and that you said that this is our emotion speaking and it's important to know how emotions work that by knowing how emotions work, we can hang on to a more adult perspective, a little more objectivity, and we will. The messages or the 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 um, the, the interpretations, the the thoughts that come from our emotions, aren't giving us the right take on what's happening. No, emotions don't. When we talk about a normal felt state, feeling state, that's not emotional. It's different. That's an intuitive ability we have to read situations. Emotions are different. And most people, I know most people confuse it when they talk about feeling and emotion. And they are, they are This different. is essential. I want to make sure people get this because this is something that when you tell people this, they go, I don't know what the difference is between feelings okay. and emotions. Well, the feeling state we're born with, that's one of the capabilities we are born with. And if we aren't traumatized, that really is a part of our brain and our functioning and nervous system that gives us another dimension of a read on a situation, a sensitivity to be able to tell what's going on, how to understand what that other person is feeling, what's 
Is it safe? Is it dangerous? Um, we, we have that intuitive ability. Our nervous systems it's built right into us. That's, that's the norm and that's part of what they call normal self-regulation. And tell you the truth, if you don't have trauma and you have that working for you, it's a great, it's a great part of us. Um, it balances out with another part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, which is the intellectual ability, so the thinking, the executive function. You put those two together, and some other parts of your brain, and we have strong capabilities. It's when we've had trauma. It's when we've had so much pain, and when we've had so much hardship at different points in our life, which I agree with Bessel Manicole, that those things are distorted. And instead of having a normal self-regulated nervous system telling us, reading a feeling state, doesn't work anymore. It's been distorted. It's been, it's been wounded. And then what you'll have is what we call triggerings. What are triggerings? Situation that's going on in the present has some kind of capabilities that are so similar to what we went through in the past that it brings up all the emotional pain of our old damage and it runs us it runs right into the present and it overwhelms and contaminates the present if you just had a normal feeling state in the present let's say fear there's a situation that is legitimately logistically dangerous there is normal fear and it's telling you it's healthy fear it's you got something right in front of you that's dangerous mm -hmm. get out of here or protect yourself whatever it takes um, that's a normal intuitive state and if you don't have that you're just going to be prime meat for dangerous situations so we need that ability and our intellect is telling us that man over there is having holding a gun on as a gun you better stay out of that situation and get away from it something dangerous is going on so it's a normal read when you don't have it you just you can walk yourself right into a dangerous situation that could be a predatory difficult situation and boom you, you, you don't have proper defenses. Okay, so we need that feeling state. But an emotional state is different. An emotional state has so much intensity to it, usually an awful lot of fear, a lot of anger, a lot of sadness to it, mm -hmm. and pain, that's based on other experiences that we've had. Usually, truthfully, trauma. Yeah difficult traumatic situations at different times of our life. That does shape our emotional reactions. You have to, it's so important for an individual to know themselves. Know themselves. You gotta know your history, you gotta know how it's affected you. You've gotta be aware of these things because that's, your, that's who you are. And um, if you know that about yourself, you know how it's affected you physically, how it, how it feels physically, you know your own histories, um, you know it's, how it's affected you. You don't have to be cured. You've got to know yourself well. And here's why. When you don't, and a similar situation comes up in the present, it triggers off those old memories on an intuitive neuro, uh, neurological basis, and boom, the old emotion, mm -hmm. the old stuff that comes flailing out and distorts your complete perspective. You no longer see what's happening right now, no. so that you are not able to respond in the best way to what's needed now. Exactly. So you have the normal fearful situation that would tell you what the read and to get out of it. Mm -hmm. Then you have this stuff trigger off and all of a sudden you have paranoia. Right. Now we see that in a lot of the veterans that we've treated. I've had it. Um, it's PTSD. We don't call it PTSD. 
disorder. We call it post-traumatic stress injury. Now, that involves fear. That involves horrendous situations that people go through, and it's left wounds. It's left scars. It, it hurts us. Um, it's horrendous, nightmare situations, right? And yes, we've been wounded and hurt. But what happens is you carry that, and you know, we're able to work with the body, which we, we can tell you a little bit more about how important it is to resolve this stuff in your body and get rid of it, uh, or certainly diffuse, what we call de decompress and diffuse it. But if that stuff triggers off, you're not going to deal just with the normal fear. You're dealing with such an intensity of fear. It's the present fear and the past fear. We call it contamination of the right. present, and it's very common. When that happens, you have emotionality. You have triggerings. And if you don't know yourself, that stuff takes over, and what you do is, instead of being, let's say, angry, you're going to be out of control. Enraged. Enraged. Yes. Or you're going to take it out on other people and start blaming them and attacking them and focusing your anger in all kinds of ways on other people instead of knowing this is my own pent-up emotion and instead of knowing how to deal with it in a constructive, assertive way, you're going to take it out and blow it out on other people. And a lot of people aren't aware of it. I see it happening now yeah. uh, at a massive level and it's heartbreaking. And I knew it was going to happen because people don't know themselves and they don't know how to deal with it. And they feel completely justified mm -hmm. in taking down other people. And frankly, I find it can be so dark and so evil and destructive. That's how bad triggers can be. That's the emotional state that's out of control. Mm -hmm. What we recommend is, and what we do, is we teach people how to deal with themselves and their body and understanding these emotional states, how it affects our thinking, how it affects our behavior, how it affects us physically. And those are all really important things because when we know it, the next step would be, of course, to learn how to get help to deal with it or to, to know how to deal with it and to decompress it. But if we're in a situation that can be provoking or difficult, we have to know ourselves and know that we're taking this on and it's bringing up stuff in us that doesn't have anything to do with the situation in the present only, yes. but it has to do with our past too. And if we let that stuff blow out, come out, we're going to be out of control. I am one of those people that have had that issue for sure. And I, I've seen it happen in the last year and a half a few times where I committed my life never to be violent anymore or dangerous and whatever. And, and I'm not. I'm a healer. I help people. And yet, since I've been grieving and heartbroken about my wife three or four times out of nowhere, that's the interesting thing. I, you didn't have to look for it. I was provoked. And I, a couple of those times I had to get to my wife and I couldn't. And these people were blocking my way deliberately. And I can be the most violently dangerous person. And I saw it. And I looked at that and I've had to kind of rein myself in and realize, wait a minute, this is not smart. And if you take this guy down, you're going to be the one that's going down and you're not going to be able to help Lynn. Right. And um, I've been fortunate that I have feedback from people that I work with, and they'll say to me, geez, this time you handled it a little better, um, um, and you didn't hurt him. But I needed to know that, too, because I had to have an adult in my head going, you know yourself. You know you have a very violent side to you. And also it has to do with protecting people who are victimized and hurt, mm -hmm. like I had been one of my younger years. But when that side comes out, what I realize is 
I can be dangerous and I don't want to be. So even though these folks deserve to be gotten out of the way, not with the kind of vociferous violence, anger that I have and rage, they needed to be dealt with differently. And I found that that's the emotional state. That was a normal anger or assertiveness that needed to happen. And instead it turned into really something, they get scared and they should be because they were provoking me. But the truth is that I could have handled it differently. And that's what I had to learn to do and read myself and go, you know what? I have to know myself. And since I do, I know how to control myself better and make different choices. And the, and choice, and the choices lead to a more positive outcome. Much more. Assertiveness, assertiveness is called for. Right. Being enraged and violent isn't. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of difference between emotion and emotional reactions that have been triggered mm -hmm. versus a normal intuitive a feeling state. state that you use to do something constructive and positive. Or so, absolutely. That's There's right. a big difference. One is an adult state and the other is not. It's not. Yeah. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. And Peter and I are talking about resilience and moving forward in difficult situations and what can get in the way. And particularly, in our last segment, we talked about emotionality uh, versus feelings. And I would liken that to, uh, like, radar. Um, if, you're, if you were running a radar set and everything was working well, you'd know what was in front of you, you'd know the obstacles to avoid. Uh, that's a feeling state. The emotional reactive state, your radar would be off. Something's gone wrong with it and you can't really tell what's in front of you and you run the risk of really getting into trouble. So we have one more segment today. And I know we t promised to talk about some skills that, and we have been, uh, that lead to resilient response to difficult times. And one okay. of them is to not indulge in your emotions. Um, what other things would we like to cover before we're done? No, today? I think that's good. Just a couple of, uh, I'm just reading some of the work that we've done for our training manuals. And um, reading one that says, the more aware we are of our triggerings, the more likely it will be that we can choose to respond in considered and constructive ways. The key to resolving a triggered experience is first to become aware that this happened. Once aware, we can slow down, access our felt or feeling state, decompress to a more self-regulating state, and then deal with what has happened in the present so that we can be, can be effective, we can effectively move on. Anyway, I think that that's really important. It is. To do something more constructive. It's called being assertive. But it's also being adult and and dealing with things in the present. Right, with a perspective and objective view of what's happening. And also understanding. And what's needed. Yes, and and the kind of life and work that we've chosen, we're challenged a lot um, to be better people, to grow through the challenges and difficulties. And other people need to learn that too. We are not perfect. In fact, most people that do the kind of work we do have very difficult backgrounds. But yet we've chosen a completely, or what's been chosen for us in some spiritual sense, um, directs us in a more positive way to use our old damage and pain actually to help people, not, not to continue hurting anybody. But you were in a, you're talking about 
we wanted to talk about something. We had we had opened the episode uh, thinking that we were going to talk a little bit about some some skills, and we have been, as I said, for resilience and uh, what what's important to know and learn uh, as you move through very difficult times. Well, like what are, what are some of the things you're you're thinking? About? Um, well, we would start oh, from the that. article. I got it. And uh, she had some. Th- there were some valuable things here that we've talked about in the past, and we can shift to some of this at this point. They are, they're good, and I, I think that it'd be good for you to, we could talk about it quickly, but yeah. I don't know if you want to pick one or something. No, I think read them first, I think okay. all of them are all right, so, so her first point, and this again is Eileen Zimmerman in the New York Times article, What Makes Some People More Resilient Than Others? Her first one was to have a positive, realistic outlook. Don't dwell on negative information and instead look for opportunities in bleak situations and try to find the positive within the negative. And you opened today talking about the woman uh, who was starting a new business Absolutely. during this time. She's, she, her regular work was no longer something she could do and she said, this is the perfect time for me to try something I wanted to do all along and uh, looked at what her situation was and took hold of it. And she's taking time to reevaluate her life and her situation. We've talked about that in, in papers we've written in the book we wrote. And I'm just looking at all this and listening to it. We've, we've, we've done all of this. This is something we've talked about And before. we believe it's really important. So she's right. Um, the second one is that people that are more resilient have a, what they call a moral compass. It says highly resilient people have a solid sense of what they consider right and wrong and it tends to guide their decisions. I think that's really important. It's people that don't have that that are out of control. And folks that have an overactive um, sense of morality, well, this isn't what she's talking about. We're not talking about people that sit around judging others and attacking others for not being in agreement. No. We're seeing a lot of that. There's triggerings, misunderstandings that are really turning into some massively destructive things. They're not talking about that. She's talking about something more balanced, having a moral base to yourself. Having some integrity and what you believe in is right and wrong and sticking with it during these difficult times, that's a really good guideline. Okay, it's a guideline. It's not like, you know, some kind of heavy hammering of righteous right and wrong. She's not talking about These are personal values, personal to you, the ones that you live your life by. And to connect with those and live by them. Yes. Next one, I'll read that. They have a belief in something greater than themselves. This is often found through religious or spiritual practices. Uh, the community support that comes from being part of a religion also enhances resilience. So this is having purpose and meaning. Something that, that is worth doing that, that gets you out of yourself so you're not just self-focused. Something greater than you that, that needs to be done. Seeing a bigger picture. Yeah. And we see people now, and this just bothers me, they believe they're coming from this place by attacking each other and attacking others. Yes. That is not, that to me is destructive triggering. And instead of finding, finding an empathetic understanding between each other, it's causing destructive, emotionality. hurtful emotionality. Yes. So that's different. Um, uh, and the next one might even, you know, kind of go on to that, the al- being altruistic, having concern for others, and a degree of selflessness, dedicated to causes they find meaningful and give them a sense of purpose. So those things really go together. And you're talking about 
if you if you become uh, your your beliefs and values are you use them to punish or be a weapon towards someone else you've lost the essence of what she's talking yeah, about yeah and i think that sense of selflessness is being challenged quite a bit these days um it it's a, an incredible gift to learn to give selflessly um, I can't always say, and I've been in the helping professions almost 50 years, that I've always known how to do that. But when we go through our own personal crises, and I certainly have a number of times now, of course, nursing my wife through a difficulty, and my mother, my 95-year-old mother, and helping others, it's an astounding discovery that I don't have to just have this unspoken contract that I'll give to you and if you give to me. I'll do this, but I expect you, I expect that out of this. It's nothing like that. It's really having to do with something that's intrinsically fulfilling where the person has the need, the situation calls for it. You're not looking for anything back. You're just giving to the person with the situation because they really need it. And it seems to be what they call sacrificial giving or loving. I'll be honest with you, it's the most fulfilling thing to do. And you don't sit there Keeping score. Keeping score. Not at all. Yeah. And you don't, it's not trying to analyze the other person's motivations for what they've done or what they're doing. It's knowing they have a need and you want to respond to it. And that selflessness is so fulfilling in and of itself that it actually sparks another part of the brain that actually is something that refeeds the body and is very healing. Mm -hmm. And I can attest to how healing it is. But it does come through. There is difficulty. There is pain and challenge too. But I really love that. I think that's one of the greatest gifts that I've been given through all the difficulty currently, is to discover this kind of love and selflessness. Many people that work with us have uh, some of them have been very narcissistic today, are very selfless, because the challenges that they faced, it's it's made them into different people. Mm -hmm. They understand what true generous love and charitability and caring really looks like. Mm -hmm. Many of them discovered they don't have that in their life and they didn't know it. They didn't know it. And it's a very individual thing. Yeah. So an individual may get there, but maybe other part partners in their life aren't there. So of course there's some conflict. Mm -hmm. But the truth is it's the selflessness, it's the caring, it's the love, not expecting anything in return and having a much more honest, authentic relationship with someone. Mm -hmm. That's really, oh, it's beautiful. It's a yes, gift. Yes, yes, yes. The next. Oh, the next. They accept what they cannot change and focus energy on what they can change. Mm -hmm. They reapprise a difficult situation and look for opportunities within it. Absolutely. Yep. Um, yep, we've talked about that. And I think that innovative people, particularly, I'll be honest with you, I think the entrepreneurial approach to business and life, they are forced to do this. Yes, yes, that's true. And it's, Get creative and innovative. Because you're always running up. There are challenges and other people aren't going to take it away. You've got to figure out what to do and not let it defeat you. I, for one, have grown up uh, as an entrepreneur. My father was. I was in, in, in work for myself for a long, long time. I do better that way. I've done better that way. But I had to look at situations that looked like they were going to defeat me and crush me and instead find redeeming capabilities through it all and what's astounding is my history tells me when I run up against difficulties now you've run up against hard things before and there was always something better that came out of it 
the last point was have a social support system and support each other. That's exactly what you're talking Absolutely. about. We have a team and we do that for each other. We recommend it for anybody. Get your social support. Absolutely. Yes. Okay, I'm on for the Survivor's Guide to Life is made possible through a grant from Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment at sctraumatreatment.org. We would very much appreciate your donation, your consideration uh, for us, and for we also have a GoFundMe Charities campaign. Mm -hmm. You'll find our podcast at thesurvivorsguidetolife.com and other podcast outlets and the video on YouTube. We have Facebook, Instagram. Please share, like, comment, give us feedback, get in touch at Jenny at BernsteinInstitute.com. We would love to hear from you, and we hope that what we've said today makes a big difference in your life. Take care, everybody. Stay Thank well. You.